My name is Hemish Alangaratne, and I'm the founder of RX Group and the host of Let's Talk Quality. Let's Talk Quality is a podcast aimed at quality assurance professionals in pharma and biotech. Join us to learn from some of the best QA leaders around the world and hear how they've developed their careers as they provide some practical insights into how they've got to the top of their field. Our mission is to shine a light on what good quality assurance really means for pharma and biotech. What impact does it really have on the patient? We want to explore some of the biggest challenges facing the sector and inspire the next generation of quality assurance leaders to continue to help bring safer and better quality therapies to patients. Welcome to season one. I hope you enjoy the show. Jacob, good to good to have you on the podcast. Um, welcome. And um, do you want to give everyone a um, an overview of who you are, your a bit about your background, and, and what your current role is? Yeah, that's great. I appreciate it, Mr. for having me here. Um, I'm just, you know, at a point in my career now, right? This is this is a routine question. We kind of simply go over this constantly and in introducing myself. So I, I, this is relatively. Uh, probably the 150th stop in my career. So uh, first of all, my name is Jacob. And, 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 uh, and uh, looking at the rest of how we go through this, I, I understand that, you know, walking through um, trying to identify what it is we've done in our past and trying to identify how hard that was and how easy that was, whatever that may be. But uh, the easiest way for me to say it is, is I'm a quality guy. So I work in quality. I'm the vice president for a company here in Rhode Island for Neurotech. And, and, uh, and exciting things happening here. It's a company now. And I, I've, I've come here from a few other much larger companies. So I'm actually pretty excited to be um, settled here now where I'm at because I get to build a product and be a part of a team that's building that product. So it's pretty exciting for me to, to kind of be established where we're at here. Yeah, and look, we're gonna get we're gonna talk about a few different things like leadership and developing people. But um, before we get into that, obviously you're going you've gone from larger organizations into small organizations, and a lot of people are doing that. Or oh, I've done that recently. Um, what are the what's exciting about going from a, a large company into a smaller, more startup operation? And then what are the key things that you've identified as 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 um. I guess things to be aware of for those that are going through that journey. I think for for a quality person like myself, um, I've done both sides. I've started. I started early in your career. You kind of just try to get your foot in the door, so you're really just going for whatever. And I think there's excitement about being in some of the larger companies. Um, but I, I think there's goods and bads about both. Uh, for me, the reason I transitioned and want to stay. Um, and, and I say smaller, but that's that's sort of trivial. But what it really means is less established, less established in the industry, and we're we're kind of pushing that through. And what I found is that they're more flexible. Um, you have an opportunity to build from the bottom up, and, and you take your experiences, what works and what doesn't. And I find that that flexibility is not available in a lot of much larger companies. You're, you're kind of fighting a bureaucracy and and a lot more um, opinions and and bad habits with a much much larger company. And with a small one, you get a chance to build, put your team together. And really, and really pick up speed. And I think that's why a lot of, you know, everybody talks about flexibility in, in the smaller companies and things like that. But I, I think more of it's focused on the fact that you've got a smaller core that's really more aligned and they have more communication and, and things get done a lot faster. So that's really what I was excited to do mm-hmm. here. And, and, and it's really kind of taken off. And it's, um, and, and in general, that's really what I was looking for as well from a smaller side. It's just to kind of come back to a, the opportunity to build something and kind of drive that. Yeah, nice. So let's get into it then. In your eyes, um, Jacob, what makes a high-performing quality quality assurance function um, in this day and age? 
You know, it, it, it's a good question because I, 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 I'm a sort of a reformed person when I when I think about that. Um, I, at one point, I would have said just collaboration. I think you know, I grew up in a world where quality was sort of the police. They, they were the group that um, you know we were told to be critical, overly conservative, and and really we were just in the way. Um, at least 20 years ago, I just felt that I'd look back at some of the decisions I made, some of the decisions my bosses made at that time, and they were they were they were not good for a company. You're like what we're trying to do. You're trying to accomplish something. You're trying to move forward as a team, and quality just seemed like they, at least in my perspective, was always in the way of that. We're slowing things down, and so I would used to used to be able to say, if you're going to be successful in quality moving forward into 2010s, 2020s, you, you want to be collaborative, and and I'm a little bit more reformed from that. Um, I, I look at speed now and, and, and the agility to kind of still big piece of that to be collaborative and have speed, but also data. I think data has changed a lot of things. I think if you're going to be successful in QA in the next 10 to 15 years, you should be looking at how you can analyze data and be a part of that analytics side of things, because that's really where mm-hmm. the company is going. Uh, looking at reviewing documents and paperwork and, 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 and audit trails and things like that are great. But you really need to be able to kind of understand that data and how to drive that, because that's really what QA is going to turn into in the next 10 to 15 years. And can you just go into that in a bit more detail, the data side of why is that? So you're saying, obviously, collaboration is, you know, every, every that's a, an, a fairly obvious mm-hmm. skill that people, that leaders need to have in, in quality assurance. You're collaborating with different functions. But I'm really interested to know where it's going in the next 10, 15, 20 years and, and data's an interesting one. Why is data key, and what what specifically with, within that um, that skill set should people be trying to develop and 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 harness their knowledge in? It's easier to compare probably to where maybe I started, and I think a lot of people start in quality. Um, they either go on the manufacturing side and need to get out of it, or they just they come right out of school, or they kind of come from another industry and they find themselves in QA, whether it's doc control or. Or maybe they want to figure out how to how to review batch records and 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 that's the sort. But that was a very common path. It still is to, today to to getting in your foot in the door, really starting in QA. But I think if you're hmm. younger and you're thinking about that job being around in ten years, probably not. Uh, maybe some of the smaller companies based on financing. But I really feel things like data collection, data analysis gets cheaper and cheaper as we sort of use that more in our industry. So really you should be looking more around the IT or data assessment, being able to understand statistical analysis better, uh, because a lot of the reviews are going to be happening electronically. Um, you set KPIs, that you're going to have machines doing, you know, batch record review, um, you know, electronic batch records, electronic limb systems, things like that. What you need to do is be able to operate those systems and understand the compliance of those and make sure that those data checks and balances are in place, uh, validation of those type of systems. I think that is a more feasible approach for a long-term in QA. I think if you're really coming in thinking you're going to sit around and review batch records for the next 30 years, like they did 20, 30 years ago, it's just not that that position is not going to exist. So you're really going after the data analysis part of it. So are there, are there any um, key skills, and this I'm of course a bit naive here, but are there any key skills within data that people, that future quality leaders should be trying to develop? Right off the bat, data integrity is the one that has really kind of impacted our industry a lot over the last 15 years. But I think very many, a lot of companies were slow to adopt because they kept getting passes on their audits. So I think the skill mm-hmm. of understanding the core 
compliance of data integrity and being able to articulate that is very important and understand that that is just as important as putting your name and signing your date on, on a batch record or whatever that may be. Um, understanding yeah. how that works and understanding how to teach that and drive that into your quality systems um, is very important. And, and a lot of people confuse data integrity. They think it's just electronic data or whatever. <clears throat> it's quite simply all data that you're generating. So it's it, whether it's written or it's data that's coming off a system, you, you have to have those checks in place. So those people are important. I don't think a lot of quality teams have those people unless they're at large corporations. I think if you're for thinking in some of the smaller companies, they think about that, but a lot of the times it's too late. And then you show up at PAI mm-hmm. and you don't have these people. Um, you're right. looking at uh, being able to have statisticians, uh, understanding how you know process controls are put in place, understanding what you should be seeing just by trending. You know, Just because you hit spec, doesn't mean it's a great product. Sometimes you're high or low end and there's a trend that you need to be able to identify there. And the FDA now expects that you're doing that type of analysis early on and simply just pushing product out the door is great. But if you start to see trends up and down, um, you need to be you know, understanding what's going on with your product. And I don't think QA historically has done that. I think it's basically the numbers game and they're pushing it through. And we found that mm. you know, tough questions come up and you need to understand how that data looks. Yeah. So, so speed and, and, and I suppose kind of going hand in hand with that is the, how you utilize data, um, are going to be two key ingredients or key, key, um, skill sets that, that functions will, will have to adapt to or, or develop and improve in the next few years. Are there any, any other things or any, any, any other skills that leaders would have to develop in the next 15 years? I think, you know, you, you, you sort of hit it there, but I, I think it's the ability to understand what you're looking at when the data hits your desk. Um, yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm extremely aged, I would say. I'm not, I'm not a young spring chicken when it comes to uh, being, at least in this industry, I've been here quite a while. And every day I have, you know, individuals that are 23, 24, 25 coming into my office and teaching me uh, the ability to kind of be flexible and learn because I, I, there's things from the stats or just from an analytics perspective that I learn on a daily basis. I don't know this. I didn't go to school for this. So like a lot of things in life, because I'm a QA guy by nature, but I've had to learn QC for the last 25 years. So uh, you learn how methods work. I learn how the bench does. I am no expert, but I have to learn. And I have to be able to, to work through that and be able to release product. Same goes with mm. understanding analytics. I've had you know kids teach me things on a daily basis. So being flexible and learning every single day and not kind of sticking to your guns and I think being able to change your mind is a big piece of that as well. Mm. Because like I said, I'm, yeah. I'm a reformed person. I would have never thought analytics was a big deal five years ago. And it's been really, um, it's been really eye-opening because it's helped me in investigations. It's helped me in product yeah. release. It's helped me in conversations with the FDA. It's being able to analyze that data and statistically prove something that I couldn't, I couldn't investigate to a certain extent to understand. But the statistics and data that I'm looking at kind of help me answer those questions. Interesting. So... Moving on to, I suppose, a bit more about your leadership journey and and what, um, I suppose, the practical things that um, you've gone through throughout your career to, that could help others. Um, you, you went down the usual route from QA manager to director to, to VP um, level and, and beyond. I suppose, looking back, what were the some of the toughest times or challenges in your career and how did you get through them? It's funny you say that because when you said it, you, you've gone through it and it seems pretty typical, it didn't feel typical going through it. I, I, and I don't actually assess the past and look at how that pathway looked. Um, mm. Some of the difficult times are really just, and I think about a product and investigations because I'm, I'm in QA. We've had 
you know, the last 10 years, I've had some really rough up and downs when it comes to trying, you know, from a CDMO perspective or trying to understand new products that we're bringing to market. So I think I look at it from that perspective rather than the title. Um, mm. But if, if I were to kind of, you know, really understand what some of the difficult times were, it's, 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 it's trying to shed all of this, the bad bosses and trying to absorb all the good bosses and try, you know, as you're developing a team, which is what I actually thrive on. Now it's what I enjoy doing at work. I mean, products, grace, saving patients is, is up there as well. Um, don't get me wrong, but really what I pride myself is, is seeing the progression of the team. And so part of what I've had to do is absorb a lot of, okay, this is what I, I don't appreciate this, but I appreciate that. I'll take that. I'll learn from this boss, even a boss that I don't particularly like. Um, I still have to work with, and there's, I learned things from both. And I, and so even in a toxic environment, I've been able to kind of learn experiences there. And I, I, w- I wish I could share some of those because I think some of those are more, uh, um, I, I don't want to get too, too personal on some of those, but I, you, you lose sleep, I think, with our, with our behaviors and interactions. Um, and especially when you get into management, you're really kind of absorbing also the pains and aches that come from your team um, and their yeah. growing pains as well and how they impact other groups. Um, and so you, you lose sleep over over things um, that may have happened with your team that are not pharma related or product related at all. So maybe those are some yeah. of the more glaring wounds that I've had. Yeah, like on the, yeah, so on the on the people side, and, and do you think like as an industry we do enough to support people going through that their leadership journey? Like it's it's a like like you say it's a it's a sim it's a simple path. Not it's not an easy path, but it's a straightforward simple path. But do you think that as an industry we do enough to support um, people on and future leaders on how easy it is to get there and and what are the things that people can be doing to progress? I try to, um, but I think your answer, your question is, as an industry, no, I, I think we're too analytical. I think that's just my thought. I, you know, you work at GE, and, and I'll give an example of why GE was was a great place and a bad place to work uh, for me. Um, I, I think that for GE, they had a fantastic leadership program. I think everybody knows about the renowned you know leadership program they've had in place for many many decades at this point. Um, and I think they didn't understand pharma. <laughs> so they had this great leadership program and it was designed for GE, which is gas, power, you know, everything. And then there's, there's specifics that I think you needed for pharma to understand, especially because you're talking about a different, I don't want to say better or worse, but more differently educated team and, and, mm. and awareness that different groups or different industries have of certain things, um, make things difficult. And I think if you have a very intelligent group or a very, um, group that's you know highly educated and and, and they come in and, and they're new right you get a lot of groups that have master's degrees and, and they jump in and they think right away they already know how their career is going to go so I think we get to a point where you're not kind of going that same path anymore you're not getting that same treatment of you're going to spend five years as a supervisor then you're going to spend five years as a manager I think you perform well in pharma you move very quickly uh, and I think that's the problem is we move a lot faster sometimes than we can actually learn so from our mistakes because we don't have time to even make them sometimes and I think that's mm-hmm. where I think to your question we don't get a lot of solid training because we're just we're going 100 miles an hour to try to get product out the door or whoever's performing the best gets this role because we just can't hire enough people in time and so we end up hiring people that are a little bit under uh and not all the time this is this is sparingly but a little under uh experienced 
and we, they suffer. They suffer in these roles sometimes, and they they don't be they don't uh, they're not quite as successful as they want to be right off the bat because they haven't learned the skills of how to simply manage a team. And, and so I don't know if it's the industry that's causing it, or it's actually the 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 fact that maybe it's the effect of us moving so quickly. Because I don't think there's people out there intentionally not training people. I just think that we forget yeah. that, that we don't have time to do a lot of that stuff. So it's it's more organic mm. than it has to be. Yeah. I hope that makes sense. It does. Yeah. No, it makes complete complete sense. And and in your career, then you're quite passionate about the people that you developed and the leaders that you, you developed throughout your career, and that seems to motivate you. Um, is yeah. seeing other people develop their careers. What's um, I know this is quite a, a sort of a, a broad question, but like in your experience, developing succession and developing leaders, what are the um, what are the key things that you have done to develop your people over the, over the course of the career? And th those th those guys that have got to director level and beyond, how have you have you noticed any trends about the people that have have taken that leap and done well in terms of how you develop them and manage them versus other people that may not have reached there? I think there's a space and there's a time and space for every candidate. I'll call it candidate. I, I think there's, there's success rates that are variable. Um, when I look at the teams that have done really well, I, I can sort of tell right off the bat if, if, if someone's going to do well. But it, it, it sometimes I say that because I also know that I'm not perfect at determining when others are going to... What I mean is I, I can look at somebody and say, I know they're going to do well. but And I look at somebody else and I might miss that. I miss the skill that they have that it's going to make them very... Um, I guess the word is to make them an asset. And that's where what I would tell individuals is try to find a way to make yourself an asset. And that's where you sort of excel in your industry. And, and, and this is where I look at individuals on a team. Um, obviously, you can, you can take the easy way out of a question like this and say, yeah, the doers are always going to do well. Um, but that's not the case because sometimes the doers come with an aggressive attitude. Um, I got to get this stuff done. I'm going to run you over. I'm going to do whatever I have to. And that's great if you're going to you know, work somewhere for two years. Um, but if you're really trying to be a part of an organization and try to be part of it, your reputation will not only follow you through the facility, it'll follow you to the next building or whatever that may be. And in fact, here in Boston, it, I know 90%, I feel like I know 100% of the people that work in our industry. It's just so, I, I, I know these individuals. I've worked with them and we've kind of circled around each other. So your reputation follows you and your inability or inability to kind of be a leader does that as well. And I think that that, that hurts you and helps you when you're looking for jobs and you're kind of running into other people. So one of the things that I look for is an individual that's really um, driven to actually be a people leader. Um, and I, and I think that, you know, there's, there's two ways I, I find, I think people want the raise and the title and the other ones really want to, they want the responsibility and they want to own it and they want to help other people and they want to drive. And those individuals to me are the ones that I, I can feel that in my, when I see these individuals and I'm having a conversation and they reach out to cross aisles or other groups in their building and they're trying to help them, they're trying to get something done, you can see that that leadership is there, but also that willingness to kind of reach across the aisle and really support another team. Um, that's really important for me. Uh, and, and I kind of try to train that and, and I try to do a better every day myself doing that. Uh, when I see a counterpart or uh, you know another group that's struggling, we try to reach out and try to make sure, is there anything we can do to help? Uh, and that's where I think that skill, it, 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 that is not something that people have 
I think it's not everyone. You either want to help somebody or you don't. And that, that willingness to kind of reach out and be part of that group and try to support that team, that's where you'll find – I. Pretty confident saying that those individuals are going to be great leaders when they get to that point and they learn their skill and their trade because they're they're already learning that ability to negotiate or the ability to get in a room and kind of get people in together and, and do the work because it's not just project management it's actually digging in and doing the work and that's that's really the skill that I I find is most successful when you're looking for a people leader. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like I said, be, it does. Yeah, it's being being an asset, isn't it? And by yeah. part of being an asset means that. Do you have the real drive and willingness to get stuck in, help other people, um, work collaboratively, work cross-functionally? But yeah. is that something that you can coach and, and teach people? Do you think people have it? Is it more of a natural um, trait in people? Um, because yeah, I've had conversations with various people about about the similar sort of thing. But um, you know, can can you can you can you coach? Um, collaboration? Can you coach people to be an asset? Um, and if so, how do you go about doing it? I think you can coach anybody to do just about anything. To be honest with you, I think everybody's coachable. Um, I've heard a lot of people that, you know, they're, they're unmanageable or they're unteachable. That's not true in my opinion, at least my experience. I, I think it's the willingness to, to, to do it. And some of the, the part that is eluding a lot of individuals is that work because I think they get overwhelmed. And so you've got to still do the work. And I think that's the big piece of it is once you reach out, you commit, you got to follow through. And if you don't follow through, then you become more of a burden. And I think if you just look at the, across the organization, and I'll just use an example. Say you have 300 people and there's a group that's struggling and it, it's impacting you to release product. Let's just give that example. And you reach out to that group and you say, hey, I can help you. Let's get down, let's sit down, let's fix this process. And then you're kind of ghost them <laughs> after you've kind of done that. I think you become more of like, yeah, this person was great for a while, but they didn't really kind of drive it through. But when they really hammer it home and they support it and that actually helps their group and this group, even that manager will come to you and go, man, we, we could have done it without, you know, this individual. I mean, it was fantastic to help. And that's great. You drop that seed. And, and what people don't see is a year from now when it's time for a promotion or even a leadership role somewhere else, they'll go, what about Joe, whatever. Um, remember, you know, he came in and jumped in and did this. I think there'd be a great position for them. And that's how people have seemed to be moving quickly um, because we have open positions everywhere. And so we're always looking for people that have that willingness to kind of reach out and manage people and kind of not just manage people, but manage departments and be a part of that, you know, collaboration, because that's what we want. And so just just putting yourself out there will get yourself moving pretty quick in your industry. And how do you deal with, um, I guess, you know, some people might describe them as mavericks or people that are <laughs> not necessarily team players, but might be technically very knowledgeable and very good at their 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 sort of individual job um but are they good for the the culture of the business or the or the function um i don't know if you've experienced that before in your in your leadership journey i'm sure you have um yeah. but um yeah how, how, do, how does how do you go about finding that balance between i suppose what's good for the business and what's good for the your that individual and the team I think what's unfortunate is I, I, I would like to say that I've never had um, employees, at least in my organizations, that were that way. Um, but that's not the case. I think even when you come into an organization, there's always that, you know, understanding of who you have and who you don't. And then sometimes you hire somebody and, you know, everyone's life changes 
rapidly. So things, you know, things can change and people change and, and people's priorities change. So I, I would love to say that I've never had an employee that sort of had that attitude, but that's not the case. And so you have to really understand that um, I'm transparent with the teams. Uh, if you're going to be that way, um, there's a time and place for you to work in an organization just like mine. But it's, you know, part of it is, is I expect you to treat people with respect. I expect you to kind of show up and do what you say you're going to do. You can be a maverick all you want, uh, but I expect you to, to to follow, you know, just the, I guess, the cadence of what our groups are doing. Right? So sometimes you got, you know, it depends on what you mean by maverick. I think if you're talking about being toxic, that's a different discussion. Um, but if you if you don't want to, you know, lead people, you want to lead, you're not going to follow any rules. You're just going to be toxic and constantly, you know, causing issues and problems. I got no time for that. And nobody does. Right. That's an easy out. Uh, the question for me is when you've got individuals that don't appear that they want to be a people leader, they don't really, you know, you know they're just sort of out there. Um, and they've been very clear to me th- that they don't, or you have the, the, even the group that th- they don't recognize that they're, they don't get along well with people. They don't collaborate well. Um, they don't listen and understand the problems very well. They're just often doing their thing. And then, mm-hmm. you know, they come back and they say, Hey, I want a promotion. And I think I half your job when you get to that point and you want to start managing a team is to listen, to hear, to understand what's going on. And, and I don't think that that's the hard part about the teaching because then you have to reflect. You have to have that difficult discussion with the team or at least the member you're talking to. A lot of the times it's an argument. Oh, it's a defense here, back and forth. Um, and But I, I'm happy to have those discussions because I actually take pride in exactly what you said when you said it was unteachable or maybe you can't manage those individuals, but I've seen people turn around from that directive and it, it just takes time. It takes a little bit of self-awareness. Not everybody has that. And, and I'll be clear too. We have an industry too, where there's not a lot of self-awareness because people are very intelligent. And sometimes they look at themselves like they're the smartest people in the room. And there's not, it's not the only industry that does it, but I think when you're fighting with that, I'm the only one that knows the answer mentality you're not going to go as far as you could if you'd learn to kind of have mm. a little humility and understand your team a little bit better. Yeah, definitely. I think self-awareness, a lot of people have said self-awareness is, is, is such a key trait for, for leading in quality. <laughs> I, guess <laughs> I guess it's my own self-awareness. I should have probably understood it better. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Um, and then a lot of people, on the other, on the flip side of it, a lot, I speak to a lot of directors, VPs of quality who especially at the smaller organizations will be faced with challenging uh, the challenge of managing upwards so uh, def, you know defining okay. ROI of quality to your c-suite your ceo your um, cto whoever you, you, whatever the reporting line is but i guess making um, the c-suite and the leaders of the company see quality for 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 what it is and and giving it a a bigger seat at the table, if that makes sense. Like, do you have any advice for, so having recently gone into a new company, but do you have any advice for people that may be struggling to to get their leadership team to buy into that quality leadership and, and invest in quality a bit more? You know, I, I've, I've seen it go both ways. Um, and actually, I've seen it go both ways a lot more recently. Um, I, I don't know what's happened over the last, I don't know, 10, 10 years or so. Um, but it's, Maybe it's because I've gone higher in the organization, um, but I'm in a place now where I feel we are in that place. And I don't mean to kind of call out the, the place I'm at now, and, and I'll just I'll just leave it at that. But I've been recently in places that, and and, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that as well. That have not, and, and they have paid the price dearly. 
Uh, and part of the reasons why I chose to leave uh, those organizations or things like, because they're just unwilling. And I think the problem that we've kind of faced a little bit is we grow so quickly in some of our organizations. We, we understand that it's expensive to make drugs. And then you've got a lot of factors that, that factor in. You know, you got to either have to have the people to do it. Um, you have, and you have the systems in place, but I think, you know, you also have these companies that go public. Um, they have to, you know, understand financials. And so the constant battle that you're having is is how does quality get ahead of or at least at the same level of the importance of financials? And I think that is if I could have figured that out, I, I would write a book and I'd let you I'd let you read that because I think that that is a ongoing battle. I mean, you lose sleep over that. Um, the good news is I think that there are pockets of individuals throughout every organization that do agree, and you have to find them and create some sort of understanding that there's a coalition that you have to create because you can't – in an organization of 30,000, 40,000 people, it's very hard to um, change mindsets of individuals that are so far removed from you. You can be a VP at a company of 40,000 people and still be 10,000 steps away from the individuals making that choice. So the best we can do is, is use performance. Um, and that's what we've that's what we've driven to do over that. And it's part of coming back to statistical analysis, right? So, the cost of poor quality is a term that people like to throw around. Um, I use that as a negative response. I said, you know, you're losing money when I have to write 45 deviations per batch. I said, if you understood what we're trying to accomplish here, I know we're going at breakneck speed. I know that's what we're doing, but I think you have to understand that we could go even faster if you just stop for a minute, give me, you know, give me some time to figure this out and make sure that you're not creating more expense for yourself because we're allowed to have our processes by design have quality built into them. And I think that that has resonated a little bit um, in the industry because people are really starting to understand that a little bit better. I'd, I'd say 10 years ago, I don't think they, they quite understood that. I, I think they understand it now. I just think there's a lot of people that don't want to hear it. Um, but there are organizations similar to the one I'm in now and others, you know, I, I, I won't go into others that I know here locally that do that as well. I'm, I'm happy to see that quality is starting to, to, to kind of be a bigger conversation because I can feel it with some of my other colleagues that are maybe at other companies that they're, they're also getting a little traction on understanding that there's, there's a firm belief of quality metrics and, and I, the example I gave, if I have five deviations, that costs me how many man hours? That's thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars a year on one person I'm paying just to have them write deviations. That's silly. And so the only answer is I got to get better with my processes. And, and I think that that's where I've been able to get into that conversation. But I have not been able to put us at the forefront of the decision making. I think I think we're, or at least in my experience, we're a ways away from that where we're equally there. But I, like I said, I mean, in an organization, when you're building that, I have the opportunity now to build that. So a good example of starting in a smaller company is getting in at that level before all of that is built and bureaucratic nonsense is kind of built up there. You kind of put yourself in that position to be a voice at that conversation. And um, it's very helpful at that point. I hope that answers your question. I kind of went around there a little bit there, That's, but, yeah. um, but it's, it's really just, it's tough when you're coming into a 40, 50,000 uh, person facility or a uh, company and trying to make that change from the ground up. Yeah, no, it, it definitely makes sense. Um, I suppose that you know, even the fact that you, they have brought you on board at, at an early stage in their development, in their journey signifies the investment into quality, um, I suppose. So, um, so, so yeah, um, couple of quick fire questions to to finish off the the conversation um jacob um is there is there anyone that's inspired you 
um, throughout your career? I'm sure there are plenty, but are there any people that stand out um, as, as leaders or people that have inspired you in your career? Yeah, and there's a lot. I, I think, you know, the word inspires, is, 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 there's, 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 I had a boss a couple jobs ago that, um, and I use this now as I move forward, I had a boss that, that I probably didn't deserve the job he gave me. I'll just be honest, I'm a pretty young guy to have a certain role because I moved pretty quickly through the ranks when I was coming into this position and I didn't deserve the role yet. I, at least I didn't feel I did. Um, I was rather taken back and surprised. I sort of applied for the role and I was thinking, hey, I'll give it a shot. You know, I you know, talked to recruiters like, well, we'll see what happens. And I, and I ended up uh, making my way through a, a pretty long interview process. And, and I think that individual made it very clear to me he was taking a chance. <laughs> he said that to me. And so I... I um, I kind of respected that because I think he was he was willing to look at me as a, a rather younger individual at that time, um, and and somebody that I said to him, "Look, you've got a team here. They've got some problems. Um, you've got a facility that took a big hit from the FDA. I spent a lot of time at Genzyme fixing these problems um, when they went to their issues with con- you know consent decree and things like that. I've gone to other companies and done the same. Um, the one thing I can do is I, I can help you fix that. And he, so he took a chance on me. And over the years, we're working with this individual. You know, it was really his patience and his understanding that he was willing to reach out and grab people that were very different from him. Um, and so I've taken that to myself, and I've kind of absorbed that. I, I appreciate that from him to this day. Um, I don't know if he'll see this. I haven't told him that, but it's one of those individuals where like, I've taken, or it's one of those skills where I've now learned to hire people that are much different than me. Because I think in a long time I was hiring a lot of Jakes. Uh, and so I, I learned that I took a chance on a few individuals and they are very surprising sometimes. And some of them are very good at what they do because they're very different and awkward. And I appreciate that a lot more because I saw how successful I was when I was kind of challenged in that way from this individual. Nice. Um, I don't know if I should say the names. Is that what you're looking for? Because I, I, I guess no, I could. It's com- you can say it. You can give him a shout out. It's completely up to you. Uh, um, I'll, I'll just know. let him know. <laughs> I'll let him know on the side. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to call him up. Let him know when the podcast is out. Um, <laughs> um, what, what would be one bit of advice that you would give to um, aspiring quality assurance leaders? Be flexible. So let's say, don't be so conservative. I think what I've learned, bad habits are going to kill you. And, and I use that example with my team here because we're really coming out of a long cycle of clinical trials and a lot of people coming in and going. So we have a lot of processes that we have to fix. And you're looking at a process where people will routinely walk in a room and go, we can't do that because the FDA says you have to do this. And I, and I always ask the question, prove it. Show me what, you're, what you mean by that. Because I think if you come into this organization being mine and you be and you're flexible, willing to change and bend and, and change your what your perception of quality is, um, you're going to be successful, and you're going to be successful for a lot of business focused companies that are really looking for a quality person that's going to come in and not slow them down. You really want to be able to to take a problem, apply whatever compliance is necessary. You don't have to be extremely compliant. You just want to be compliant. That's what you're shooting for. And so I say flexibility, being able to kind of put away what you your preconceived notions of what compliance is and learning that every day is a new challenge. And I think that that's very useful key to being successful in quality in 2023. Very good. Um, final question. And you've touched on this a bit in the, in the conversation, but what, what gets you up in the morning um, and what, what motivates you? 
now it's my children. Um, they, they give me up because whether I like it or not. But I think in general, I, I really I'm, I'm excited to be where I'm at. Um, I don't think about pharma as much as I used to. I think about the team, um, which is, is is a much different place for me. Um, I really want to see the you know the group that's under me be successful. Um, I I really appreciate personally when they move from analyst all the way up to um, I can't why this keeps popping out of my ear. Um, analyst to under you know director because I've seen that happen and it's 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 great to see that rewarding so that's what I that's what gives me up in the morning is making sure that the team is happy and they understand that you know I appreciate their their input and and what they do um, and every day I try to spend time focusing on that because they're you know tremendous right what they do is fantastic and I think that um, they don't get to hear that a lot because we're always going 100 miles an hour so that that's that's what gets me up in the morning is making sure that people. Um, are happy at what they do. Jake, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show and giving us your time um, and insights and some really oh, I good, it. Thanks, um, really good advice and, and really good topics um, of conversation that I think a lot of leaders can take. We will we'll find benefits um, beneficial. So, um, thank you very much. If people would uh, like to reach out to you, is LinkedIn generally the best way? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that that's a great way, and I think you know. You, you, I'm pretty good at responding unless it's uh, – it, it, I get a 1,000 messages sometimes a day about people trying to hire stuff. I don't always have positions, so I, I apologize there. But I, uh, if you're reaching out for messages, I try to do the best I can. Great. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks for your time, uh, Jake. Good to chat, and um, we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Josh. Thank you for listening to today's show. I hope that you got value from it, whether you're starting your career in quality or if you're at the top of your field. Today's episode was brought to you by RX Group. I'm the founder of RX Group. We are a pharma and biotech recruitment organization focusing purely on quality assurance. We recruit consultants and senior level permanent quality professionals into the pharma and biotech industry. If we can support you, whether that be in a hiring capacity or if you yourself are looking for work, please get in touch with me on LinkedIn. Visit our LinkedIn page where you can subscribe to the podcast and visit our website, www.rx-group.io to find out more about us. See you soon.